Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be Neil Armstrong, though, he had to go through a lot of trial. He went through a lot of testing before they went to the moon. He had to prepare. They put that man through pressure to get him ready for where he was going. Now, after they had successfully come back from the moon, somebody asked Neil Armstrong how he felt, and they finally released him out of two weeks of quarantine in case they had moon germs and all that. When he finally gets out, they're like, how do you feel? And the one thing Neil said was, I'm just happy we completed the mission. I mean, dude, you just walked on the moon. Everybody wants to know what that's like. Nobody had ever done that before. And he says, I'm happy we completed the mission. I mean, this guy responded like a military man. You know, he used to be a combat pilot. He's talking military style. We, we finished the mission. I'm thinking, you walked on the, tell me about what you went through. We finished the mission. I'm like, that was an odd response to me. Of all the tough stuff that NASA dragged him through, Neil's focus was not on himself. He never said, oh, here's how I feel. He said, we completed the mission. I want you to hold on to that thought as we move along in 1 Peter 4 and 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, people could retaliate at Peter for that just being his opinion, but he made Jesus as the example to follow. We need to always do that when we share the gospel with people. Don't make it about you. Well, I go to this great church. Well, I listen to so-and-so on the radio, and I do this and I do that. Don't, Don't put it on you what you do. You make it about Jesus Christ as the example to follow. Now, we are to go through our sufferings with the same attitude that Jesus himself had. So Peter said, arm yourselves. This sounds like a a military term again. He said, arm yourselves. It's like a soldier that's putting on his armor. When a soldier puts on his armor, his focus, their focus, it's never on themselves when they're gearing up for battle. They're focused on completing the mission. I remember when playing football, we'd get banged up pretty good, and some of the guys would eat grass and whatever, and we'd suffer that on the field. But our focus was not on ourselves. It was on completing the mission. It was about getting to the goal line and making touchdowns and winning that game. Yes, I hurt. Yes, I probably got a bruise on my leg now, all that. I'm suffering, but I got to get my mind on finishing the mission. So Peter said Christians are to adopt the same attitude that Jesus had with determination to go through all this persecution with an unswerving resolve to do nothing else but serve God's will and complete the mission. We've been put here for a mission in, in line with God's will. Don't make it all about yourself. Going through this persecution like this helps us to identify with Jesus, and it also means we learn to share with his suffering and in his death. You know, I, I want more of Jesus. 
okay, well, Jesus suffered too. Do you know that? Well, I don't want that part. (laughs) So Peter said, ceased from sin, which means anyone who suffers with Jesus, they're done with sin. They're done with it. I'll tell you, my old life, I am done with that. I ain't going back to that at all. So the people who are saved, they now have a new focus. Their new focus is on the mission that the Lord has given them. And Peter says so in 1 Peter 4 and 2 says that he, he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. There you go. There's that switch we all have to throw. It's not about you anymore. Before you were saved, it was all about you. When you get saved, I'm talking saved for real, something happens and you turn from that and it's all about what the Lord wants. It's no longer about what you want anymore. We will always pursue our own lust except for when suffering strikes and it takes that lust away from us. You ever realize that? You know that God uses trial? I'll tell you in the case of losing weight, one of my lusts is eating anything that has the Reese's name on it. That's one of my lusts. Those things are terrible. The the little uh, Reese's cups, those are called inflammation tablets. You should never eat those if you have back trouble, okay? But then the suffering of being overweight, when you get too heavy and your clothes ain't fitting right, and you can't walk as well and all that, it forced me to make better decisions towards doing what's right. That's just a small example of how trial is good. Well, there's a lot of people, though, they live in the lust of the flesh. They're not living for the Lord God. They're living on what they want. And they give in to anything from smoking to smoking themselves into bad health or drinking drugs, sexual promiscuity, a number of different things that they lust for. But Peter said there's a way we can tip the scale in the other direction. If we arm ourselves, with the same mind that Christ had, then there will come a time when you no longer live for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That switch has to happen somewhere. There's a lot of people walking around saying, I'm Christian, and they're walking in lust. I'm sorry when you tell me you're a Christian. I don't buy it. How can I turn around and go the other way? Peter told us, arm yourself with the same mind that Christ had. Now, Paul even agreed with this same attitude. He said in Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's pretty extreme words. He said it's death. Well, I, I want to live my life my way and do what I want to do. Okay, that's dying. That's death. Oh, come on, Ray. Pretty serious. Well, that's where it gets you. Anybody that's truly been saved has been freed from sin, so we should no longer be slaves to sin. We shouldn't be slaves to that anymore. How many freed slaves ran back to their, uh, their guys that cap- had them captured and under their control and said, no, I'd rather be back under your chains and whips again? That, that doesn't make any sense. When you're free, hey, I'm getting out of here. You don't run back to it at all. Sin is always going to tempt, tempt you in your life, though. That's one thing I do want to say. But I want you to understand that temptation is not sin. It's temptation. Don't give in to make it sin, right? I know a lot of people that struggle with temptation. They think they're so terrible. I'm like, did you give in to the temptation? And they say, no. I said, well, you're, you're good. Okay, it's okay. Temptation's always going to be there. But your decision to be slave to that temptation or not, that's where you can choose to arm yourself with the same mind that Christ had. You know, Jesus himself was tempted, and he chose, no, I'm not doing that. So that's the same thing we need to do. Arm yourself with the same mind he had. And so any believer that has adopted Christ's mindset, they can count themselves dead to sin, and they will choose to no longer live for the lust of human desires, but rather for the will of God. Throw that switch, man. 
1 Peter 4 and 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Well, to the college-age woohoo party frat animals out there, please take an observance to what he said, drinking parties. Peter said drinking parties. They're in the same boat as abominable idolatries and lewd lust. Lewd lust, that sounds so biblical. I don't do that. That's so biblical. Drinking parties, there you go. If you're really following God's will today, your old habits are supposed to be a thing of the past. Peter said there must be a definite break from what the pagans do, what the pagan unbelievers do. You've got to be different than that. You can't live like them. First Peter 4 and 4, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. You ever have anybody talk bad about you because you're a Jesus freak? The people that you used to drink with and party with and get drunk with and smoke with and do drugs with and sexual whatever with, all that kind of stuff. The people that you used to do these things, kinds of things with before you were saved, they're going to become your persecutors after you get saved. They were your friends before. They're not your friends anymore. I've had old friends try to get me to go hang out, to go to the bar and hang out. Hey, come on, Ray, let's go hang out like we used to do. And I'd politely decline. And they'd immediately go into this mode like, too righteous to hang out with us now that you're a preacher? Too righteous now that you're a pastor man? You're too goody two-shoes for us? And you know what I tell them? Yep. I mean, I'm trying to be. I mean, I don't mean it arrogantly, but yeah, you've got, you nailed it. I'm trying to have a mind like Christ. I remember somebody said that to me. They worked at a bar at an airport, and I was going on a mission trip to somewhere, and uh, they said, hey, I'll give you a free beer. It's on me. I said, no, thanks. Oh, too holy for beer now, Pastor Ray? And they mocked me. They said bad things about me. I said, well, I'm trying to be. They weren't expecting me to say that. She goes, well, what do you mean by that? And I started sharing the gospel, and I noticed that the, the staff that was bringing all the bottles out, they were bringing out all the liquor to stock all the shelves. They had all stopped. They were holding like three bottles per hand, stopped and listening to me, what I was telling her. She goes, well, I don't believe in that stuff. I said, well, the whole staff just heard it. That's good enough for me. Use it as an opportunity. It's really cool. So you'll catch some of that from old pals that knew you back then. That kind of mockery. You don't run with us anymore. But First Peter 4 and 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay, when your old party friends insult you for being such a goody-two-shoes Christian, Peter said that even they are going to have to give an account to the Lord. You don't worry about what they're saying to you, how they're making fun of you. They have to give an account for what they're saying to you. You just let God deal with it, okay? So those who spent their days living in lustful things, doing whatever they wanted to and not serving the Lord, they're going to be made to answer for what they've done. I think of all the friends I have who don't value the things of the Lord. They say they do, but in their life, they're just not. They're not following the Lord. They don't read the Bible. They don't attend church. They do whatever they want. Specifically, they're out there doing things that God's Word says not to do. One day, they're going to have to stand before God and answer, why did you do this? I don't know exactly how the judgment's going to be. I don't exactly know what's going to be asked or said to them. I don't know how that's going to play out. 
But I can imagine one of the few questions that might be raised, I don't know, I'm just speculating, is why they never served God when they were given an entire lifetime to make that choice, but never did. 1 Peter 4 and 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Peter gave us quite a contrast here in verse 6 that's very different from what we read in verse 5. The willingly sinful, they're going to be made to give an account before God. But verse 6 flips the other way to give us encouragement that those who heard the gospel message and they believed it, they're going to face a very different future than the ones who refuse to believe. So whenever people insult you and make fun of you for being a believer, don't let that get you down because we believers have a great eternal destiny ahead of us with the Lord. And besides, we also have each other. First Peter and 4.7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. Oh, I love Peter. Listen to that. Be serious. Peter's talking like a man. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. There's a lot of people I just want to get in front of them and say, look, you need to get serious about following the Lord, man. I have people come to me with the same stuff round and round, year after year, time after time. It's the same trouble over and over. And I see what they're doing on Facebook, Instagram, social media. They don't think I'm looking. (laughs) I look. I see what's going on. I know. Don't hide from me. You can't hide from God. If I can see this much, what do you think God sees? And I just tell them, you need to get serious. You're not serious. Now, people would call me too harsh for being like this or not being sympathetic enough. But in reality, some people need to be told it this way. So I'm glad Peter is the one that said, be serious. Almost could have named the message that today. First Peter 4, be serious. The end of all things as you know it is at hand, he said. The end of all things. The life you're living now, the way you do things, the places you like to go, all the stuff that preoccupies the interest of those who have no time for the Lord, they are a blink, a blink away from the end. All your little habits, everything's just going on that you don't think nothing about. It's all going to be gone. So when it's all over with and when it all ends, where are you going to be? Well, I don't have time for the Lord right now. Well, what do you think it's going to be like when it's all over with? Where are you going to be? What are you going to have? James agreed with Peter when he said in James 5.8, he said, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Friends, you don't know if your last day is in 30 years or if it's in 30 seconds. Be serious about this, Peter said, and be watchful in your prayers. Have prayer time. I had a pastor give some great advice in Israel. He told us, whatever your prayer time is, double it. Be watchful in your prayers. The return of Jesus could be at any time, or you could be called out of here any time as well. It is imminent. Imminent. Be serious. The shortness of time that we have here on earth should be enough to motivate us to live for Jesus, to serve him for real, and not just try to make people think we are. 1 Peter 4 and 8, and above all things, have fervent, look at that word, fervent, fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Okay, fervent. I'm going to jump all over that word because he put it there. He didn't just say love everyone. He said be fervently in love with everyone. Fervent means intense. 
Most of the love I see in the world today, it's not really love. They say it is, but it's really not love. It's where people pretend like they love someone just because they have to be around them at work or even at, I'm not looking at nobody, or at church, okay? I love you. I love you. But you're really just saying that just to put up with them long enough to get through the day and get away from them, right? That kind of love. (laughs) That's not what fervent love looks like. Fervent love will cover a multitude of sins. And oh my God, I have to tell you my hay trailer story now. I had to go pull a trailer one time when I lived on the ranch. We had a five bale hay trailer, one of them big ones that pulls the big round five, uh, the big round bales. And my cousin backed it up to the tongue and I guided him back. And mind you, I was a kid. Okay. I was really, really young. I didn't have my head about me like I do now or like I'm trying to now. And I was very, very young. And so I got the tongue. We got it over the, the ball hitch, and I lowered it down, and we took off driving. And we were driving along. My cousin was driving, and all of a sudden, we felt thunk like that. And we're like, what was that? And I looked at my cousin's face. He was looking in the rearview mirror, and he just flushed white. I'm like, that's not good. And what happened? So I turned and looked back, and the hay trailer came off. It came off the truck. Now, we're coming into a curve in the highway. We're probably doing 45 miles an hour or so. And Grandpa believed that if you put smaller tires on the right side of the trailer, that if it came off, it would veer out of oncoming traffic. And he was right. But we were in a curve. Well, that trailer stayed in its lane. And what was amazing is, I'm not the one driving, so don't look at me. It passed us. And... I don't know why he did this. Like he felt like I would have tried to get in front of it to stop or something. But, you know, the tongue was throwing sparks off the concrete into the first bale and it caught on fire. So we're driving in this truck and we got passed by Haley's Comet. (laughs) Okay. So the trailer went through the ditch. Thankfully, it was our ditch on our land. It went through the barbed wire. Thank God it was our barbed wire and not somebody else's. Thank God it wasn't a house there. And it went on out in the field, and uh, so we ran out there and just dumped the burning bale and tried to put it out. And both me and my cousin, we turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger, and we picked up the tongue and put it on by hand. I don't know how we did that as teenagers, but we put it back on. And I realized something I did wrong when I saw him hook the trailer back up. I didn't click that little latch down that locks it on the ball. I didn't click that little latch that would have locked it, would have stopped the whole mess from happening. I'm like, oh, shoot, this is my fault. Every bit of this, we had to fix the fence. But uh, I'm like, wow, this is my fault. Had I just locked the thing, it would have covered all of that. Peter said, fervent love covers a multitude of sins. Click covers a lot. Friends, if you don't have fervent love for one another, I want you to consider the mess that it could save you from if you would just have fervent love for one another. Loving fervently, not faking it. Loving people for real. The benefit in that is it will save you an immeasurable amount of sins that could tear your life totally up. If you want less trouble in the world, most people do, then love each other fervently. This is how we arm ourselves with the mind of Jesus Christ. Now we're in 1 Peter 4 and 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, you all have spiritual gifts. You've got giftings that I don't have. That's why I need y'all. That's why I need every one of y'all in here because I can't do what you can do. 
If you came into this church today thinking you're worthless or that you feel less than everybody else, I'll tell you right now, you're not because you possess an ability in the kingdom of God that nobody else has. Only you have that gift. We need you to minister that in this body of Christ so that it will help us complete the mission that we have. So Peter said that you're having this gift makes you a steward of the grace of God. A steward. What's a steward? An example of a steward, that's somebody that might manage a mansion or something for a rich person. Let's say uh, they're away on business. The rich owner, they'll let you uh, be a steward and live in their home. So the steward has a lot to manage, but it's not from their own personal wealth. It's not directly theirs. They are merely a steward of what belongs to somebody else. Now, imagine if the owner told the steward, hey, I want you to use this house for good things while I'm gone. There's some things I want you to do with it. I I want you to put on dinners for friends of mine. I want you to invite them over. I want you to have banquets for my friends. I want you to do things with this house. I want you to lodge some people that I know periodically that will come in and out of town. You're going to lodge them here for me. Use this house for the things that I want you to use it for. That makes you a steward. It's not your mission. It's not your goals. Well, it's my house now. I think I'm going to hang a picture here. I'm going to live all alone. I don't want anybody in here. You know, The steward says, no, you use this house for what I want you to do with it. So Peter said we should minister our gifts to others as stewards. The gifting that God has given you is not by your own wealth. It's not by anything you've done. So don't brag if you have a special knack for doing something great in God's kingdom because that gift was given to you, not just for you to have it, but so that you would use it for the things God told you to use it for. People tell me, well, Ray, you know, you speak so wonderful and no wonder you're on the radio. (laughs) What you're hearing is the edited version. Y'all have already heard me stumble up a few times in here today. That's going to be edited out. People don't know that. They hear me on the radio. Oh, Ray, you sound so wonderful. You sound so great. And I could go, well, yes. God's gift to me. I didn't, I didn't develop that. I'm a steward of it. I'm a steward of it until God takes it away. And he could take it away any time. I could lose it. But God wants you to use your gifts for his kingdom. You are a steward. Never think that what you're good at is because of you. Now, in this case, we are to use our kingdom gifts to minister to others about the grace of God. Now, friends, this is clear-cut biblical text telling us to share the gospel message with others using whatever you're good at. Whatever you're good at, use that to share the gospel, to get it done, to get it out there, for that's your mission. If you're good at cutting hair, share the gospel in the barber chair. If you're good at uh, working on cars is your thing, use that to help a friend out sharing the gospel while you work. It can be anything that might be what God has gifted you with, you can use that to minister to others as a steward of the grace of God. Think about what you're good at. That's something I need you to do. Maybe you're good at administrative type work. Churches need administrative thinking people. Maybe you're good at finances. Churches could use financially thinking people that are good with investing and all that. Whatever you're good with, use that for the Lord. He will give you opportunities to exercise that gift now that you're thinking about whatever it is. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life 
is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.